You know what, I was looking on the internet this morning um, about money. Did you know that it is illegal to deface money in Australia? And that's quite interesting. If you have half a note, it's actually worth half of the value on the note. So if you give a teller a half of a $10 note, it's worth $5. Uh, but if you tear it up too much, it's worth nothing. Um, and you're not allowed to tear it up because it represents something. It represents the government. It, rep- it represents a, a certain value that we've attributed to it. $10. What do you think of it? Real? Yeah? Better in your pocket than mine. Okay. And yet I wonder sometimes We're back this week. I I believe you had a great sermon last week. (coughs) Um, We're back this week to the Ten Commandments. And we're looking at the second half. We're going to read it through in a second. And and the reason, I don't think Ten Commandments equals money. Please don't go home thinking he tore up money. The reason I want you to remember is that money stands for something. And if you tear it up, You're saying it stands for nothing. We want to look today at the Ten Commandments because I want to suggest to you that they stand for something of who God is and stand for something of how we reflect who God is. Um, Remember, right at the beginning, um, Genesis, God said that He created humanity, mankind. The, The word Adam means human, means humanity. God created humans in the image of God. In the likeness of God. And so last time when we looked at Exodus chapter 20, we saw something of who God is in the first four um, commandments, instructions. We, We saw that God is the only God, that God is not to be localized and grabbed together and and smooshed in, we saw that, and put under our control, because God is God, and we saw that, that we need to speak right about God, because, because that is who God is, and, and we saw also that we need, to, we need to do the right thing by God, we need to think the right thing, according to God. But what does that mean, when we come to, the person sitting next to you who is made in the image of God. (coughs) Let's just read (coughs) Exodus chapter 20. We'll read the first two verses and then we'll start at verse 12. God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Don't have any other gods apart from me. Don't make yourself an idol whether it's up there or down there, don't copy anything and say that's God because I'm bigger than that. Don't misuse the name of the Lord because God will not let you go unpunished if you do. Uh, Keep the Sabbath day. Remember we said the instruction to keep the Sabbath was more more than just keeping a particular day, but it was an instruction to be imitators of God. 
Uh, because as God gives that commandment of the Sabbath, He says, keep the Sabbath. Why? Because I did it. And so we said the commandment is broader than just one little thing, but it's, it's saying to us, be imitators of God. Um, and in fact, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, come, follow me. Be imitators of me. Be my disciples. Now we come, verse 12, honor your father and your mother, and then you will live a long life full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. And you must not covet your neighbor's wife, a male or female servant, dog, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, remember they're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai and, and God is there and he's speaking to Moses and People can hear God and Moses speaking to another. Uh, And they heard the thunder and they heard the loud blast of the ram's horn. Remember, it was getting louder and louder and louder and louder all the time. And they were absolutely... And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing, scary stuff from the mountain, and they stood at the distance. And remember, God had had to say to them three times, Moses, make sure they don't come up. But now they're standing at a distance and they are trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, well, you speak to us, Moses. Uh, We will listen, but don't let God speak or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. (coughs) So just to recap, a few really key things that we have to remember. When we come to the Ten Commandments, when we come to any of God's instructions, the first two verses are key. Because God is coming to His people, to those that He has already saved, to those that He has already rescued. He says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. You are my people. I am your God. It's already done. And now, since you are my people, since I am the one who has rescued you, Here is what it means to be the people of God. And so we said last time, and I want to really make it it clear this time, that when we come to the instructions of God, they are given to God's people. Not to those outside the church. They're given to God's people. And so uh, we must be really careful of going to those outside the church and saying, well, you must do this and you must do that. And you have to do this. And God says you must do this. Look, in a sense, we're to be salt and light of the world. And we're meant to be standing up and saying this is what God expects. But, but really, God never goes to the world outside and says, this is my commandment for you. God comes to us. God comes to us and says, here is how I want you to live your life. Why? Because you are my people, because I have saved you, because you know me and I know you, and because I want you to live a life that reflects my life. See, the whole story of the Bible is the story of us being made in the image of God. God starts and says, I will make them in the image of us. A man and woman, I'll make them and they will be like us. And then, of course, the fall happens and we rebel and that image it's not destroyed, but it's cracked and it's marred and it's like a big... Somebody's gone and keyed all along the image of God in our lives. And so it's messy and it's disgusting 
and we're prone to sin and death comes in and it's horrible. And then God sends his son Jesus who is fully human and fully God and so that when we look at him we see what it means to be human. We see what it means to be made completely in the image of God. And that, that's, that's, that's why Jesus came. He came to make us right with God. To fix that image. So, you, know, uh, you go to your mirror at home and you go and scribble texter all over it. Men, I guarantee you, if you scribble brown texter all over your mirror, your shaving is going to be pathetic. And ladies, you're going to have lipstick up here. And, and that's what... That's what the Bible is about. That's the great story of salvation is God coming and saying, well, I am going to rework you and I'm going to remake you in the image of God. And this is a fantastic one that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make us brand new. And so that when we look at each other, I won't look at Mark and say, Darkers, I'll look at Mark and say, wow, you look just like Jesus uh, in your character and your personality. And until that day, God says, well, I want you to, I want you to live out of who you really are. You're my people. I am holy. And, and it's not just about us because God said to the Israelites and he says to us, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. You see, the whole point of being God's people, the whole point of living a life that reflects the character of God, that reflects the image of God, is that those on the outside would look at us and go, there is something different about you. Your God is, how can you be like this? We're meant to live such good lives that the world would give praise to God, as Paul says. And we said last time that, that we can break the Ten Commandments into three groups. It's, it's about thinking right about God. It's about speaking right about God. And it's about doing in imitation of God. And that's the first four commandments, but now we come to the last six commandments. And we see that as we know something of who God is, we are to treat each other in the church, and I want to say outside the church as well, using that same threefold division. We are to treat others, or do in our actions, we are to treat others as bearers of the image of God. We are to speak to each other in truth because, because God is the one who does not lie. And we are to think holy thoughts. What does Paul say in Romans? We are, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by how we think. And why is it important to think right? Well, because, because of who God is and because we are being made into the image of God. Um, Jesus, when he was asked what the most important commandment was, he said that the love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. And the second he said is like it. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Just, just by the way, do you remember our church slogan? Anyone? Four words? Loving God, loving people. Loving God was two weeks ago. Still do it today, please. Uh, loving people. And we love people because of, of our love for God. We love people out of our love for God. 
<coughs> Let's start looking through some of these commandments. Um, just stress again, commandments are for us. If people outside the church follow the commandments, they will be fantastic people. But you just have to read Romans to be reminded that the commandments themselves uh, awaken sin in us. Um, and in fact, you can, you can be the most upright moral person in the world and still not know God. Commandments are only worth anything if you know God. I've said it five times, I'm going to say it again. This is useless unless you know God because it starts with grace. And commandments are just an insight into who God is. Um, Old Testament, let's ignore it, Nick. No, let's not ignore it. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. And in fact, if you read Matthew chapter 5 and 6, that whole sermon on the mount, go home and read it because... Boy, Jesus simplifies these commandments no end. And he makes them so much more complex. We're going to see a little bit of that. So we start here in verse 12. (coughs) Honor your mother and your father. Honor your mother and your father. And then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Um, The Old Testament word there for honor is, is... Related to the word for, for being heavy, uh, often translated about similar to word glory. But what does it mean to to honour and to be heavy towards your parents? And what about what about if your parents don't deserve to be honoured? Does it just mean that you have to obey and respect? What if, what if you, you've got a parent who's abusing you? How do you honor your parents? I know a few of you here will have parents who have passed away. But how does one honor your parents? I think part of it has got to be that you you show them respect. But but what if they are not worthy of that respect? Let's just say again, commandments are written to the people of God. Um, And so we can't take this whole family situation out of context of that. And so if if you've got a parent who is not being worthy of respect in the church, God's people have got to get involved. And we also got to say that all the commandments are not absolute as in always respect your parents, always honor your parents. If your parents are leading you astray, you do not honor them. Remember the story of Gideon. That twerp of a hero hiding away there's just a little incident that that happens there God says to him hey Gideon before you do anything pretty sure it's Gideon Gideon I want you to go 
and destroy your father's um, uh, altar to Baal and his Asherah poles. And there's just a little thing that Gideon's dad was in charge of the worship of the false gods. Now you could read uh, the first uh, commandment number six over here and say, Gideon, respect your father and your mother, honor them, and say, well, therefore I cannot do this. I will not destroy what my dad honors. Gideon, and Gideon's a bit of a twerp and a bit of a scaredy cat, and he does it at night. But he goes away and he says, you know what? God's law stands above that. And so I honor God before my parents. Same, same way that if, if the government tells us that we are to do something which is not right, we first honor God and then the government. But, but the default position for us is not to be, how can I get out of honoring my parents, but, but how can I honor them? And, and that includes, if they're getting older, um, looking after them and showing respect to them. Uh, and, and if that's difficult, asking God for help. But I want to suggest to you that, like all of the Ten Commandments, um, I hope I haven't explained what honoring your parents means completely. Because I think the Bible is deliberately ambiguous about it. God could easily have said, honor your parents. That means when they get old, you make sure you look after them. That means that you listen to what they say. That means that you obey them until you reach a certain age. By the way, do you reach a certain age? That means this, that means that. God doesn't say that. He just says, honor them and you'll have a great life. It's the first commandment with a promise, as Paul points out. And I think the point of the commandment is not to give us hard and fast rules, but to help us to think right, well, what does it mean to honor our parents and why? Because there's something in that parent-child relationship which reflects something of the image of God and something of our relationship with God. I mean, it's not a, it's not a mistake that God often calls Israel His son, His child. And the reason I think God says, honor your parents... Honor your mother and your father. Isn't it great that he says mother and father in a culture where it would have just been father? God says honor both of them. Why? Because they are image bearers of God and something about them represents in a perfect sinless world the relationship that God has to us. And yeah, our world is not perfect and it's not sinless and it's going to be messy, but our default should be to try and find some way of in our family relationships reflecting the image of God and that relationship that we have. And, and I think what, what Paul does when he comes to this in, in Ephesians chapter 5, when, when he's speaking about parents and children and husbands and wives, he, he says there right at the top, chapter 5 verse 21, he says, submit to one another out of love. Check me up on that. It's definitely submit to one another. In other words, the whole family should be in the situation of mutual respect and love. And it's in that context, that, that perfect Christian family which I have yet to meet. I mean, th this commandment is speaking about what should be perfect. And it says in that context, something of God's love for us and our responsive love to Him should be seen. How that looks in practice, how that looks for you, 
or for your children is something that, that you have to think through and pray through for yourself. You see, these commandments it should be asking us, when people look at us, do they see something of God's love for us? By the way, Paul in the passage says, and parents, fathers don't exasperate your kids. It's not just Paul takes that further in the New Testament and says, you know what, if the children are supposed to honor their parents, so are the parents supposed to be like God to their children. And so we should be asking, does our family life shine forth who God is to the world? Or does it tear up the image a little bit more? So we go on, and we get to the really easy ones, don't we? Isn't it nice? In the Hebrew, it's like two words, some of these. Um, don't, what does it say? You must not murder. Right. Hands up if you've murdered someone. Someone is not a bee. A bee, well, a bee is not someone. You know what? Why, why is it wrong? To kill. And by the way, killing here is not just, God's not saying do not kill completely. I, um, I think the, there's a whole issue there about whether there should be capital punishment or not, but, but, but God is here speaking of don't commit murder and don't commit manslaughter. That's kind of what the word is going about. Don't kill unjustly. Um, government killing War, that's a different issue, which is not being spoken of here. But, but the whole point why God says do not kill is because we are made in the image of God. If you've got your Bibles, just quickly uh, flick over with me to Genesis um, chapter 9, uh, about verse 6. It says, if anyone... God saying this, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. See, that there God is giving an example of just um, capital punishment there. That's a whole other sermon. But why? Why is it wrong to kill? Why is it wrong to murder? Because that person is made in the image of God. We're taking it and we're saying, well, actually, you're worthless. This represents nothing. We don't think that you are, you're, yes, God made you and God thinks you're special, but I don't, and so I'm going to just tear you up and throw you away. And this covers so much ground. It's, it's again deliberately ambiguous and we have to think through it. What is it? What is murder? What is manslaughter? What about one of the parties standing yesterday stood for euthanasia? I don't know if you knew that. What about abortion? Jesus, of course, takes it a lot further and says, um, in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said that 
that if you murder someone, you're liable for judgment. You're going to face it when God comes. Jesus says, but I, I say to you, I say to you that if you are angry at your brother or your sister without cause, well, that also puts you in danger of judgment. Have you ever murdered someone? Oh, well, if looks could kill. Wow. Do you see? When God looks at us, even with the broken image that we reflect, God looks at us and says, you are worth so much to me. And he says, I'm not willing for any to perish, but I want to save you. And so I sent my son. Because I think you're worth it. You see what the commandment here is saying? It's saying, be like God. Look at your neighbors. And the way you treat them, and Jesus says, even the way you think about them, Think about them the way God thinks about them. When God says, do not murder, He's saying, don't do it because they're like me. I wonder if it's going to be easy for me to be angry without cause. Just because... And yet at the same time, look at Graham and I'm really angry with him and go, oh, you're just like Jesus. You know, if I keep in my head, he's, I'm picking on you because I, I struggle to get angry with you. <laughs> if I look at anyone and go, they're made in the image of God. God loves them. They're a brother or sister in Christ. Surely that's going to, hopefully, with God's help, change my attitude a little bit. Adultery. Matthew and I were talking about adultery the other week. Because um, we were reading about it in Mark. And, and sorry to embarrass you, Matthew. And Matthew was saying to me, in China, you go to jail for adultery. I thought, wow, that's fantastic. What is... The commandments say, it says, you must not commit adultery. Don't go and do the wrong thing. Why? I mean, Jesus later on, again, goes and says, well, you know what? Uh, it's not just about the physical act. You even look at a person the wrong way. You've already committed adultery. Jesus simplifies and goes, it's, it's just, it's in there that counts. Why? Why does God say, do not commit adultery? And it's horrible. I've, I know people who have had marriages break up because one of them has gone and committed adultery and it just, it is soul shattering for them. I think God says here, do not commit adultery. Why? Again, it's because the marriage relationship shows us something of 
who God is and who we are in relationship to God. It's about the image of God. <coughs> I mean, Hosea is all about um, the story of, of, of how when God's people reject it, God says, well, that's adultery. You run after other idols, it's like you're adulter- adulterating yourself, whatever the word there is. Genesis chapter 5. Jump quickly with your Bibles with me if you can to Genesis chapter 5 verse 1 and 2 there. It says this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, or when God created Adam is the word there, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female and he blessed them and he called them human. He called them Adam. The first married couple, God looks at that and says, human. Something of the image of God is seen in Adam and Eve together. It's seen in them separately as well, but, 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 but you get a, a bigger picture. Like two pieces of mirror put together, you get a bigger mirror. You get a bigger reflection of God. See, when a husband and a wife, what what does Paul teach? A husband is to be as Christ to his wife, and Christ is to be as the church. See, something of that relationship is reflected in a marriage. And, And when you have adultery coming in, it's tearing that apart. It's just destroying that completely. Um, and the act of, of sexual intimacy is meant to stand for that strong relationship and faithfulness and steadfastness. And the act of adultery just turns around and, and it destroys that. And it denies faithfulness. And it breaks the covenant of marriage. And so God says to his people here, he says to his people, in your most intimate of human relationships, reflect something of our relationship. You know what? One of the big things at the last election yesterday was was, um, gay marriage, so-called marriage equality. I read an article a while back that said it's actually too late for Christians to stand up and say we stand for marriage equality. Not for marriage equality, we stand for marriage. It's too late. Christians have given up on marriage. The time for us to stand up was when they brought in no-fault divorce. That's when Christians should have been standing up and saying no, this isn't what God wants. And by not standing up then, we've turned around and we've said, well, actually, marriage isn't about faithfulness to the end. It's about whatever else. 
You see, this is what God is saying here. He's saying, in your relationships, will you be true? And it breaks my heart to say this, but how can the church stand up and say, we stand for marriage, when the statistics say that in the church there is just as much divorce as outside the church? We are a light to the world, brothers and sisters. When people look at us, they will see something of God's glory and grace, even in our most intimate of relationships, our marriages. And, and don't worry, because we look exactly the same as the others. Well, I, I'm looking here, and I'm seeing people who don't. Praise God. Praise God. Um, but, boy, the church needs to read this commandment again. Martin Luther, on the Eighth Commandment, do not steal, um, said a wonderful thing. He said, it is the smallest part of thieves that are hung. If we are to hang all the thieves, we need to take off our belts and we need to convert them into ropes because we're going to run out of ropes if we want to hang all the thieves. Um, if you've ever stolen something ever, put your hand up, please. Okay, let's go back to that one about tell the truth. Commandment number nine. <laughs> Oh, why, why mention stealing? Well, stealing is, is, is wrong because it betrays our trust in God. Why do we take? Because we want. And why do we want? Because we don't think God will take care of us. Well, maybe we're just kleptomaniacs. I hope not. Get help if you are. Um, and it's also wrong because it denies our love for the other. We're not concerned about their well-being, it's just about me. And if we really looked at them and said, you are made in the image of God, and we looked at ourselves and we said, and I am a person of God who has been saved, and I'm being called to live a holy life, and I want to be like God, God is not the sort of person who takes. God is not the person who steals. And we see that even the way that God saves us. God is God. God could so easily just snap his finger and say, right, I'm going to save you whether you like it or not. God could do that. God could say, right, shepherds crook out, whoop, 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 whoop. You're in the church. Get used to it, buddy. God doesn't even steal us. God comes and says, I want you. I love you. I need you to know how much I love you. He treats us out of love. And this, this is a self-obvious commandment. If you steal from someone, you are not treating them out of love. Not only that, but if you steal from someone, deep down you're saying, I don't trust God to take care of me. I'm going to take care of myself. Let's move on, quickly. Um, um, that, that's basically, those ones have covered the sort of things that we do towards others. But, but what about what we say, what we speak? Commandment number nine says, um, do not give uh, false testimony. Uh, sorry, I'll just have to get back to this in my jolly phone. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Um, back in those days, really important because um, the whole judicial system was largely based on testimony and you had to have at least two witnesses that agreed. Uh, and in fact, uh, quite interesting, if you gave false testimony... Um, and you were found out for it, whatever you 
the punishment that the person you were accusing had to face would come to you, according to the Old Testament law. So giving false testimony was taken pretty seriously over there. But why are we called to not speak falsely, to not give false testimony? Well, isn't it because we are called as those who are redeemed by God and called to be a light to the world, called to be like God, those whom God is changing to be more like His Son Jesus, reflecting His image perfectly. And what do we know about God? Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says quite plainly, God, just a byline thrown in there, God who does not lie. Who speaks the truth. In fact, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And God says to His people, if you are to be my people, you've got to speak the truth. And yes, it's, it's more than just your own personal morality here, uh, because this is in the context of somebody else's well-being. Are you going to lie to cover your own skin, or are you going to tell the truth for them? And again, this gets complicated because we live in a broken world. Uh, what, what would you have done? What would you do if somebody walked into the church with a loaded gun and said, are there any Christians here? I feel like shooting someone. Would you lie and say, well, the pastor's just up the front. <laughs> I hope not. But, but God says, we are to be people of the truth. Because God is truth. You see what God is doing here again? He's saying, be imitators of me. That's why the first half of the Ten Commandments is so important because it says, this is what I am like. And now translate that in your thinking and your actions and your speaking into your relationship with those around you. And we come finally to, to what we think. Um, this is coveting. Some people say, oh, why bother with coveting? It's such a small thing. That's the example that Paul picks up in Romans. He says, I didn't know what it was to covet until the law said, do not covet. And then, ooh, nice steering wheel cover. I want to maybe wonder and say, that if we looked at all of the Ten Commandments, this is the one that we maybe have the most problem with. Looking at others and going, oh, if I had that, I'd be so much better off. (coughs) And isn't it so true that what we think about affects what we do? Paul, uh, Paul uh, Moses, God gives some some examples here. He says you must not covet your neighbor's house. Okay. Well, if I really want my neighbor's house, I'm going to really, really want it, and I might just steal the title deed. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, but my name is David. Have you seen my neighbor's wife? The wife of Uriah. Which is what she's usually called. We know what happened there. 
And don't look at his ox and go, wow, I could do with an ox like that. You might just take it. Or his donkey or his slave or whatever. You see, we started at the Ten Commandments two weeks ago saying, we've got to think right about God. And we finished the Ten Commandments saying, we've got to think right when it comes to other people. Because really, if we are thinking covetously, we are not thinking right about God. If every waking thought that I have is, I want that, I want that, why can't I have that? Why does that person have that? Why do they get it good? Why do I not get good? I want it, I want it, I want it. Well, Paul says it in both Ephesians uh, 5 or 6 uh, and Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Paul says, a greedy person, and, and I think covetousness is linked to greed. Paul says, people like that are idolaters. Because we've put something else, that pride of place in our life, other than God. And so the Ten Commandments wrap up like this and say at the start, do we put God first because God is the only God and you shall have no other? Or in the end, God says, well, do you put me first? Do you trust me to take care of you? Do you trust me to look after you? Hebrews 13.5 says, well, be content with what you've got. Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field. They neither work nor they toil, but God clothes them in such splendor. <coughs> what the, the people here they heard God speak and they were terrified. And Moses says to them, don't be afraid. God's done this so that you will be afraid of him. But a different kind of afraid. God's, don't be afraid. God has done this to test you so that you will know the fear of God, so that you will know the respect and, and know who God is and, and you will want to live a life that pleases him. And we my brothers and sisters have not come to that mountain that is trembling and shaking and all the people saying we are terrified and Moses saying I'm so afraid I wish <laughs> we've come to the new Jerusalem to the living God to hosts of angels crying out in joy and celebration and yet Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 25 says that we should be careful that we do not also refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. The same God who spoke in Exodus is our God today. He says we should not refuse to listen because the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, um, the earthly messenger, and we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. Because there is a day coming, says the writer to the Hebrews, when God will shake all things and make all things new. But we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Verse 28. So let us be thankful and please God by worshipping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. 
The Israelites saw something of God. They saw something of the character of God. God said, you are my people. I've saved you. You're to be a light to the world. This is what it looks like to be my people. Not to make me love you anymore, but just because I have loved you. And they were terrified. We have seen so much more clearly the character of God. People of Israel saw a cloud and smoke and thunder. We have the very words of God. And we have the testimony of those who saw him face to face, who saw Jesus, who spoke to him, who encountered what it means to be fully human. Because Jesus is fully human and fully God. And and as we look at him, we see what God is like. If you want to know the Father, said Jesus, look at me. And I think Philip said, huh? And Jesus said, don't you get it yet? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm pretty sure another of them said, what? And Jesus said it a third time. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what? As we read the Ten Commandments, please do go home. I wish we had time to do it now. We we certainly don't. We're running a bit late. Go home, read Matthew 5 and 6. (coughs) Read the Gospel. And see how Jesus' life and what he teaches us how it shows the character of God. And look at the Ten Commandments, not as a list of do's and don'ts, but as a list of, that's who God is. And you are made in His image, and you are one of His chosen people. You are one of those that God has said to, I have saved you. It wouldn't be great if, every time before you started speaking to someone, before you shook your hand, you thought in your head, this person's loved by God. Do you know what the really amazing thing is? Our image is all torn up. God's great at making it new. And you're worth so much more than $10. Amen. Amen.